point start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Birdwell. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we are recording this in person. Not in studio, though, Father. Yeah, you're up here in the uh, spatial Newman Center apartment. The, the palatial spatial. No. <laughs> I don't know if it's palatial. I think a palace would have a better cleaning staff. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and uh, it just worked out that we record this in person, which is always better. Phone works pretty well. I think phones work pretty well. I get adapted to it. You get adapted. It's kind of um, lonely being on the other end of the phone, yeah. though, you know? You at least have our dear producer with you in the our, studio. Our, 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 yes, yes. Uh, who's not here today, though? Poor man. Poor man. So, again, though, I, I, I want to make sure and, and mention that uh, we, we love listener feedback. So send us any questions you have. Email me, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Any ideas for future episodes? Any questions, comments about the past? Um, it, somebody's calling right now, Father. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a live show. <laughs> So last week we um, we discussed we talked a little bit about the, the the reality of the powers of evil and darkness, um, and 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 just the, uh, the the reality that that we have to be attentive to them that they exist and talked a little bit about how to guard ourselves against them how to take them seriously but not be afraid and you know sort of that balance there uh, and we're recording this um, on on September eleventh, twenty thirteen. Of course, as Americans, remembering twelve years ago the events of nine eleven, um, a, a great time of, of human evil, certainly at the very least. Um, but yet, Father, you, you had a, when we were talking before about what to talk about in this episode, you pointed ahead to the feast that we'll be celebrating this year on Saturday. It always falls on September 14th, and that is what? Uh, the Feast of the Triumph of the Holy Cross. The Triumph of the Holy Cross. And, and, and as you mentioned before we started recording, you know, we've talked before about the, um, the ways that you combat the culture of death is by self-sacrificial love. Talk a little bit about, refresh our memories about that, and then how that applies to this this feast that we're going to celebrate. Yeah, so the basic idea is that uh, a culture of death or a culture of selfishness, a culture that seeks to grasp for itself, which is very much uh, uh, becoming the predominant culture of Western civilization. We see that reflected in uh, abortion. We see that reflected in... Uh, cohabitation, easy divorce, all sorts of ways are just this grasping to ourselves. But the answer to it isn't necessarily like more violence. The answer isn't necessary to shout something down. The answer and the argument that can't be refuted is self-sacrificing love. And I, we might have uh, recorded on this previously of the story of a, uh, a man uh, with a, a you know, a Down syndrome child, a grown uh, Down syndrome child in his 20s, and this man who himself uh, died saving the life of his uh, child with Down syndrome, and just that idea of self-sacrificing love. And so when you know, uh, we argue that you shouldn't be able to screen uh, children in the room and selectively abort a child with Down syndrome, we say that not trying to put an undue burden on anyone, but realizing the power and the beauty of that self-sacrificing love. 
and that and that's the means by which we we overcome evil. And we didn't invent this idea. No, we didn't come up with our own. It's not certainly not my brilliant idea. Not even your brilliant idea. It's not even my favorite idea. I wish I could shout down evil. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, but we draw this from again this this feast that that we're going to celebrate on September fourteenth, the feast of the triumph. Of the Holy Cross, and I think for us, uh, just I, you and I, in our, in our own, you know, after many many years of, of striving to grow um, as Catholic, as Christians, as disciples, certainly throughout the history of the Church, that that idea, oh yeah, the triumph of the cross, the triumph of the Holy Cross. But if, if you if we really think again about it, and what, I think clearly about what the cross entails, the idea that Jesus's torturous death on the cross would in any way be a triumph is really not a contradiction in terms, but, but uh, there's a counterintuitive counterintuitive. counterintuitive. Well, even just uh, probably most people have this experience of, you know, being what, seven, eight, nine years old, maybe and going, daddy, why do we call this good Friday? Yeah. And we, you know, commemorate the passion and death of our Lord each year before Easter. Uh, And so again, this, this feast, this triumph of the Holy cross, not just being, of just the wood itself, but in a sense encapsulating at the heart of our faith the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this particular feast being about uh, the wood of the cross itself in that way and and glorifying God and thanking God uh, for that sign of suffering and shame which became uh, the means of our victory. We've probably talked about this before, but in the, in the, the literally the first two, maybe three centuries of Christianity, the cross was not as predominant in, in iconography, in Christian symbology, um, symbolism, as it is, as it became, as it as certainly is today, precisely because it was such an instrument, instrument of torture and shame. The idea that we portray, that, that Christians, uh, we would portray Jesus' victory so starkly in the cross was, was foreign. Right. And, of course, they did not deny the cross. Right. And they proclaimed that Christ uh, was crucified on the third day rose. Uh, but they wouldn't use. They wouldn't dare to use that as a public symbol. Right. In some ways, a public creed is spoken proclamation, and part of the ridicule against them by uh, the pagan opponents of the faith. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't a, a public insignia. Right. And so now, as you were just saying, we're, we're celebrating this feast and the reality of the wood of the cross. And to, one of the aspects of this that, that had just occurred to me as you were saying that is once again the, the sacramentality of our faith, the fact that we, you know, that. This cro- there really was, and we'll talk about relics a li- in a little while, but there really was a cross that Jesus died on. And we're celebrating celebrating the fact that Jesus died on a cross. This, this isn't just a myth. This isn't just some symbol. Um, it was the reality. And so this particular feast, we are pointing to the reality of the cross that Jesus died on, by which he redeemed every man, woman, and child who has ever and will ever exist. Amen. And uh, the fact that reality, in a sense, has changed, which is one of the beautiful mm-hmm. things about uh, that sacramentality. Uh, that might be a, a too big of a word, maybe. Uh, I might balk at it. But just even thinking about how reality changed. Um, I've used this example before, but I love it. Um, I have a background in chemistry, and I remember a teacher when trying to describe to us the, the, the tiny size and the huge number of atoms in the world, you know, saying that when, uh, using the historical example of the assassination of Caesar hmm. by Brutus, you know, there's the famous uh, line attributed to Caesar that as he was assassinated, he, 
he said, uh, you know, a two Brute, you know, and, and you Brutus. Um, and the professor would say, every time we breathe in now, we breathe in an oxygen molecule uh, that, uh, uh, or some gaseous molecule that was exhaled by Caesar in that breath. Ooh. Oh, golly gee, what does that mean for the 33 years of Jesus Christ, God from God, light from light, true God from true man, living in the human flesh with human lungs, with uh, human oxygen receptacles and hemoglobin and all that, what does that mean? Hmm. You know, it means that our reality is changed, that God has had that impact on the world and that uh, uh, tangible remnant in a sense. And then so we celebrate, and, and maybe we'll talk about Rilux now, we celebrate the fact that there was this cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a cross, and in history, centuries after Christ, about uh, a little less than three centuries, um, we, we, we I, also as a matter of historical fact, the mother of the emperor, Roman Emperor Constantine, who legalized Christianity, didn't make it the, the state religion, but legalized never it. Never mandated it. Never mandated it. Um, his mother, Helena, who was a Christian, uh, went to the Holy Land in search of the true cross and is believed to have found it, um, historically speaking. Uh, ever since then, that you hear often there are relics of the true cross, but there's sort of a... Uh, a humorous way that, that we talk about all these relics. Well, yeah, just that people assume that there's so many relics of the true cross that if we put all the little splinters together, we would have, you know, we could recreate the Mayflower or something right, like right. that. Mm-hmm. Not the case. Right. And so there, 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 prob- there may very well be um, actual true relics of the true cross, but whether or not there are actually any literal physical fragments of that cross left... We still, on this feast, celebrate what Jesus did. Right. Although I, I think there's very good historical reasons, which uh, we don't have the time to get into, but there are very good historical reasons to believe that we actually do have uh, true relics of the cross. And I think it would make sense that God, in his providence, and his goodness, his providential care, uh, would allow for us uh, to be able to have tracked and found and preserved uh, that sign of our victory, right? Uh, but uh, so, but, but that is a historical occasion for this feast, uh, kind of coming about in the calendar of the life of the church, uh, is that historic uh, discovery and promotion of that veneration. And so, it's um, and as you say, regardless of whether or not it was true, let's assume it was, though. But we won't get into arguments about right. that. But it's still good then to venerate and to love. Uh, the holy and saving cross of our Lord. And that's, you know, we talked about Good Friday earlier. That's obviously something, uh, one of the central elements of the Good Friday liturgy. Uh, the, you have the, the, uh, the, the readings from Scripture, including the, the John's Passion, um, and, and then the homily, the, the intentions, but then the veneration of the cross, and then Holy Communion to conclude the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, in that very particular way, we, we literally venerate a cross, having in mind the, the true cross on which Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago. So why do we, anything, why, why, any other thoughts, why do we celebrate this, this mm-hmm. feast, the triumph of the cross? Well, uh, maybe just uh, a different idea. It's, it's good for us to remember the meaning and the importance of this. Because, again, this is at the center of our faith. Uh, each, uh, in each and every Mass... Uh, after the consecration of uh, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of our Lord, 
uh, the priest uh, proclaims uh, the mystery of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Mysterium fidei. Um, and the people respond, most simply, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Right. Um, and so that, that is at the heart and the center. And so, again, what we exercise becomes who we are in the same way that if I don't do physical exercises, my, my body begins to decay and not be as good. Or as, um, gosh, we were talking earlier uh, today, Herr Doctor, um, about, what was it, uh, the the allowance or the exception becomes the... Oh, yeah, the, the uh, uh, what, you, what you permit becomes the norm. Or what you permit what? becomes the expectation or the yeah, norm, right. right. So we need to keep this at the heart. And I, I'm, I'm, as I'm speaking this, the importance of our own treasuring of the sacred memory and fostering of it and even promotion of it uh, of a professor of mine from the seminary who lived and worked in England for a while and she recounts the story of being at a jewelry store there and someone coming in and pardon the accent says "Uh, yes I would like one of those little teas yes the one with the man on it (laughs) horrible and sad but uh, 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 yeah so someone not even knowing what a crucifix was just as a jewelry statement, as a fashion statement, maybe imitating uh, some secular artist wanted a little tea with the one with the man on it. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's a one uh, reason in that way. Um, another good reason is uh, going back to the idea of uh, the spiritual life and spiritual combat is the power of the cross. Right. Um, well, the early Christians didn't have crosses in their iconography, in their catalog of images, they did make the sign of the cross on themselves. Right. Yes, they would cross themselves, right? Whatever uh, form it would take, uh, in some way. And so the, the cross most certainly was part of their invocation and their prayers. Right. Tertullian, uh, early Christian writer, uh, I think in the second century, um, speaks about how how Christians. Uh, make the sign of the cross on their foreheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the evolution of exactly how it... But there's reference very early on to that to that practice. Um, yeah, late... He, he lived in the late second century. Um, and I think part of it, too, one of the things, that, you know, the, the, the triumph of the cross, one of the things that um, struck me, uh, came across a, a paragraph in the Catechism that talks about, you know, uh, we've talked about this before uh, during Holy Week, looking at Good Friday and so on, and, and, and the fact that Jesus out of his great love, obviously, died for us on the cross. But it's a very personal love, uh, very intentional on his part. And, and, and so I was thinking, this is in the Catechism 478, Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony, and his passion, and gave himself up for each one of us. He has loved us, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, and then it goes on. He loved us all with the human heart and continues from there. But Jesus knew and loved each of us and all of us during his life, but also his agony and his passion. So to me, when we, when we make the sign of the cross, when we look to crucifix, um, on this, on this feast of the triumph of the Holy Cross, remembering that Jesus died on the cross, came and, and was victorious over sin, death, and the devil on the cross, not just for all of us, but not, not, just me. The, not just the amorphous whole, exactly. not just the humanity. whole boy, not just humanity in general, but me. Yeah, right. Exactly. In my personal condition, my own personal struggle against uh, sin and moral failings, my own personal struggle against uh, the failings and the wounds of others that I've received throughout the course of my life. Uh, that is precisely who Christ 
and not just died, but the physical sufferings right. and reality of those sufferings, so that I, in my own agony, can have union with he who had agony as well. Yeah, and the, the, you know, we talk as, as Catholics, and I think this phrase I hear it more and more, uh, it went by the wayside for a bit, but offer it up. Mm-hmm. The fact that we can offer our suffering, when we offer it by our intention, by an act of the will, our suffering with Jesus's, we know that he embraces it and it becomes part of his suffering at the cross, by which he worked the salvation of the world. Yeah. Um, anything else about this this feast that you think is worth highlighting? Well, I, uh, I think we can just maybe take this opportunity to encourage all our listeners to, to have a cross. Yeah. Especially a crucifix. Um, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters... Uh, don't uh, feel the need for a crucifix. They like to emphasize the resurrection of Jesus, but they still keep around the cross, which to me just seems a little odd. It's kind of like uh, having the ham without the cheese, sure. you know. Um, but uh, because again, I mean, the, the wood of the cross has its main meaning because of Christ who bled and died on. Right. Um, but so to have a cross in your home uh, here at the Newman Center, we did a little uh, initiative. I was very grateful for uh, the response of some alumni uh, that we're going to have over 200 crosses to give away this coming Sunday for the college students to have a crucifix uh, in their uh, residence hall room in their apartment mm. you know and, and so listeners do you have a crucifix as part of your home you know and especially one with wood in it in that sense to call to mind the wood of the cross as this feast uh, symbolizes so uh because the crucifix in our home, it serves as a uh, defense against the enemy because where the crucifix is displayed in faith and reverenced with faith and paid attention to with faith, um, you know, the enemy, Satan, certainly fears that. Uh, and it's also a great reminder for us that, of course, as the catechism said, that Christ died uh, for each and for all. And so for me in my own conditions, I can pick up that cross, I can look at that cross, I can touch that cross, I can kiss that cross. And be reunited and renewed in that reality. Yeah, so it's 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 not certainly not just a decoration. It's not just a, you know a sign. Hey, Catholic lives here. It has real spiritual benefit. Right, real spiritual power in that way. Right. And I've invited my other parishioners. Like if you if you have a crucifix, you don't think it's been blessed, bring it to me on Mass on that Sunday, and I will bless. Ooh. Uh, your crucifix on that Sunday, the the coming up the fifteenth. So, so you're giving out these two hundred plus crucifixes to students. Again, it's just to, to reiterate, it's not just a, it's not just not merely the symbolism of having a Catholic student having a cross in their room, but the spiritual benefit, and particularly, I think, on a college campus. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, in which um, it's very easy to think that God doesn't exist or that God doesn't care, right? Um, and where the weight of loneliness. Uh, can be especially hard. Did you, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, growing up, was there a, a, a crucifix in your home? Very much so. Did you, yeah, we had one as well, although I don't know that it was very often paid attention to, it was walked by, but mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in Holloway with Venom, did you, did, did you personally or know of anybody who, who in their homes um, does anything about praying around the crucifix, anything like that that you've, it uh, doesn't rebel off the top of my head. We uh, we all had one in our rooms as well. My brother and I had one in our rooms. I'm pretty sure my parents had one in their room, and then we had one in the living room. 
Um, but as far as any uh, family devotion towards that, uh, no. You know, sometimes uh, you hear about people having prayer corners in mm-hmm. their home or something like that. So that would be something uh, that would be worth doing. A Bible, uh, maybe a candle, mm-hmm. but together certainly with a crucifix uh, standing. Because you can get that. I think most of us think of hanging them on the wall, but you can also get crucifixes that stand. Up. That stand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if you're somebody who has or has been thinking about Putting up, uh, setting up a prayer corner in your your home or your apartment, uh, certainly it'd be good to include a crucifix. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, again, just going to that idea of the power and the reality, and, and that's uh, just to maybe make a larger meta point on a short scale, which probably doesn't need to be belabored. But the whole idea of we talked about sacramentality or the changing of reality. This idea as well, uh, listeners of objective truth, right? So if you want to encourage your children not to be relativists. Not to be moral relativists, not to give into the uh, sways and the shaking of the doctrines of our time. Uh, this idea of the sacramentals and of these that uh, there is a real power in that sense to these objects in their presence. Uh, this idea that there is uh, spiritual reality that does affect our world. How would you? This is how would you explain the difference between that and superstition? Very good. Well, a superstition usually is something you can control. Yeah. And so uh, if I rub the rabbit's foot it, uh, exactly 5.3 times, and then I'll always have good luck. Uh, whereas the cross, uh, the crucifixes, they, are, uh, they effect the protection, uh, holy water. Uh, they effect uh, the protection and the presence of God, but they are not something by which we can control God. So we can't say, how dare you let my son fall and break his arm, Lord? We have a crucifix. Right. He wears a scapular. Yeah. How dare you do that, Lord? Yeah. You know, we do all this. And so, uh, whereas uh, it should foster our faith and so that even if something bad happens and uh, Timmy falls off his bike and breaks his arm, you say, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. We know he's protecting us and watching out for us and we're confident in him. You know, just real briefly, sort of talking here about crucifixes a little bit on sacramentals in general um, you may just mentioned uh, crucifix holy water maybe scapular mm-hmm. what are some other just real briefly any any other ideas of, of sacramentals that come to mind oh, uh, any blessed uh, metal or rosary uh, a blessed statue in your home um, you could also um, uh, I don't know if this this might be a technical question for the theo- uh, systematic theologian oh. uh, but the scriptures yeah Okay. And, you can, you can, and you can bless a Bible as well, yeah. certainly. And even just, I think, uh, a, I don't know if it's necessarily strict sacramental in this way, I would say, but uh, prayers are considering that. So vocal prayers, yeah. community devotions as a family, uh, or a group of roommates living together, and even just the reading aloud of Scripture. When I do home blessings, I'm doing a lot of home blessings for college students right now, and apartment blessings, dorm blessings, usually encourage them to read, as the end of the blessing, read the, the prologue of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, uh, as just a powerful uh, sacramental of an inviting in of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, which, by his very presence, causes the enemy to flee or desire to be away. And, and going back just for a moment to holy water, something that I, I try to do um, as as a husband and a father is at, at night when we we're praying with the family, I'll bless mm-hmm. uh, my wife and each of my kids and myself with the holy water because there, there's there's reality to the sacramentals and uh, and the reality as well of the authority 
of uh, as uh, the father of a household in that way. Right. Um, another just uh, uh, thought in that regard, which is now quickly slipping out of my head. Um, These things happen. Oh, but I remind the, I remind, I remind the people when I do the home blessing is when you feel at risk or at danger is, you know, pray the gospel and some other uh, psalms or things like that to pray aloud yeah. in that way um, as an invocation <clears throat> against uh, the enemy. The other thing with that, too, is that with holy water, I like, and many priests uh, like to do this as well, is not just do holy water, but holy water with exercised salt. Yeah. Uh, so that even when the water evaporates and leaves, the blessed and exercised salt remains. So, Father, I know that there was um, from something from the liturgy for this feast, from the Mass prayers for this feast, that in particular you wanted to mention here as we draw to a close. Yeah, it's always a great question, uh, listeners, with the Mass, as part of your own active participation, is to wonder, what does the prayer really say? Yeah. Right? Um, uh, what does the prayer really say? And to be formed by that, to look at that. And so one of the... Um, uh, options of the preface for this feast uh, has just some beautiful poetic uh, uh, vision of the wood of the cross. So I would just maybe read it for you, and we'll talk about it. For you, uh, for you, the Father, the Lord, for you place the salvation of the human race on the wood of the cross, so that where death arose, life might again spring forth, and the evil one who conquered on a tree might likewise on a tree be conquered through Christ our Lord. And so just a beautiful invocation of that, uh, that divine poetry, if you will, that divine, uh, 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 how he makes things come out so beautifully that it was through the wood of a tree and uh, Adam's hand uh, stretched out to the fruit of the wood of a tree by which death and the victory of Satan entered into this world. Right. So the victory of God and Jesus Christ entered this world through uh, Christ, the new Adam, uh, the forerunner uh, of the renewal of the human race. Uh, who himself is the renewal of the human race, that the human race was renewed and victory brought by his own hand being nailed to a tree. And so often, so that, that, that's an example of, of the prayers aren't just a bunch of words, not yeah. strong. I mean, there, there's real, there's there's doctrine here, but it's part, it's not just doctrine, it's doctrine in a prayer. I mean, this is, as you were saying, this is, this is a, pr- a prayer, the preface is something you as the priest Praise to the Father near the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, orientated towards the Father praying that prayer. Um, and with uh, the uh, the beautiful gift of the faith in that way, it's not just, hey, you're a really neat guy, God, and we really wish you do some great things. No, I mean, that's that's a powerful and beautiful prayer, that the evil one who conquered on a tree might likewise on a tree be conquered. Right. And as you, I'd like to tell you about the divine poetry of that, this, yeah. the, uh, the irony of how God takes this inst- what became the instrument of death mm-hmm. uh, so to speak and and becomes the instrument of again and in a real death Jesus' death on the cross but through that life eternal yeah um, so we got about uh, well there's not really much time left father <laughs> uh, any any five second thoughts you have Go to mass. Three. <laughs> Own a crucifix. Um, Put one well, in the house. If, if, if you're thinking of, uh, if you hear listening to this on Saturday or near that, just keep in mind the the, the, the triumph of the cross. And with that, we will draw this episode to a close. Uh, again, Seabergwald at sfcatholic.org is the email address. Send me any questions you have, ideas for future episodes. Until next time, next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.